0: You're listening to audio from the town center campus of CA Church, located in downtown Coquitlam. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, everybody else, grab your Bibles, turn to the Gospel of Mark. The Gospel of Mark, that is in your New Testament. It's the second book in. If you hit Revelation, you've gone a little bit too far. So just back up. Um, We started a series last week or two weeks ago, walking through the Gospel of Mark. And so, some of you, if you're just starting with us, we're just half with you, the first chapter. It's okay. We plan on being here until June. But w- what we want to understand in the, in the way that Mark, John Mark, wrote this Gospel, this proclamation of Jesus as the new King uh, and, and the King of all creation, uh, as he's making that pronouncement, and as, as Mark writes this book about Jesus, the, the Gospel according to Mark, what he is trying to do is encourage early Christ followers that it's not just about lip service, that it's about action, that our, that our faith in Christ, our allegiance to Jesus and his kingdom ought to be animated, our body ought to be animated with this kingdom in the way we live our lives, how we think and what we do with our time, how we give financially, whether we give financially, whether we give or we don't give of our time. But here's the thing, when we say yes to Jesus, we are agreeing, we are believing that he is king and has a say over our time, as we mentioned over the last couple weeks, over our heart, over our bodies, over our minds. Even my job? Yeah, even your job. My marriage? Even your marriage. What I watch on Netflix? Especially, probably, (laughs) what you're watching on Netflix, how you spend your time on your computer. Yes, when we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his authority over our everything. Let that sink in. That we do not that is that makes us feel uncomfortable. When we say yes to Jesus, we say yes to his authority over our everything. We are nurtured to feel discomfort when we hear about anything having authority over us. It feels like something has been stolen from us. But I am sorry to tell you that you are submitting to things every day, all day, and giving them authority over your lives. I'm in danger. We're all in danger of doing that. If you believe there are certain things that will fulfill you, then you will serve at that altar throughout your days and nights trying to find fulfillment. If, if a position or a job is going to validate you somehow, then you will pursue it. You will give it your time and you will give it your thought. If you think that there's a certain neighborhood that you have to buy in so that because it's, it's so great and the schools are great and that's where you, you're going to raise good children, then you will spend your time and your thought life on that. Maybe your narrative says that only a spouse and children can bring fulfillment. Jesus wants us to invite him into those times too, the difficult times, our pains and our anxieties. Because what we believe, we end up serving. So the question is not, will we allow anything to have authority over our lives? That's not the question. The question is, who or what are we going to allow to have authority over our lives? Because there's never a vacuum there. We will always fill it with something. That's how we are built as human beings. And the reason that we can say yes to Jesus, yes to his authority over our everything, and say it with hope and anticipation, not feelings of, of feeling like we're being overtaken, is because our, it, when it has authority over our lives, it draws us away from anxiety. It draws us away from the altars of unforgiving pursuits. It draws us away from cultural and self-made slaveries, and it leads us to meaning, hope, and purpose. The story that Mark is telling, the story of Jesus, is a historical and an event that took place on Earth's soil. It took place in an area called Galilee. Now, I don't usually show maps and things like that. We have a we have a map up there, Jacob. It's the first one there. So this gives you an idea. Well, it's hard; it doesn't show up so great there. But I'll, I'll talk you through it. And that that area in the in the north with the red lines is Uh, Sorry, north of that, no, the red one, is Galilee. You can see it. And you can see the Lake of Galilee or the Sea of Galilee on the right-hand side of that. That is where the first part of Jesus' ministry takes place. And that is all of Israel there. You can see where Judea is, where Jerusalem is. And so when we talk about Jesus traveling down to Jerusalem, we just read it in one sentence. (laughs) It's quite a journey to make that walk. Notice where Samaria is. If there was ever a high racism in the first century... Prior to that and the first century, it was between Jews and the Samaritans. Well, if you're a Jew in Galilee and you're going to Judea, do you see the problem? And so we read about the disciples wanting to go around Samaria because they were racists when it came to that. Samaritans were racist against the Jews and Jews were racist against the Samaritans. And that's something that Jesus brings to task when he talks about the good Samaritan. But anyway, that's where the majority or the beginning of Jesus' ministry takes place. And if you can read it in the, in the upper left corner of the Sea of Galilee is Capernaum. And that's where Jesus' kind of home base was at the beginning when he came out of Nazareth and started doing uh, ministry. You can go to the next one as we just hone in closer to, to Galilee. And you can see where Capernaum and, and a lot of these names will come up as we go through this. Um, I don't know if we mentioned Chorazin, but uh, Genesaret and things like that. And Samaria, Samaria, obviously, is going to come up uh, later. But that's kind of where all this is, is going on. Guys, listen, we are not the first, and we find this in, in today's te- text. Um, we are very much like the first disciples who, who heard the announcement of a kingdom. They heard it right from Jesus' lips, and they had anticipation, but they also had questions. You ever have questions for Jesus? Do you have, have questions about what it means to follow him? Yeah, okay, we'll take the new life. I'm all about that. Release from lying stories. I, I'm down. I'll buy into this, this new story. But I know that you are not only calling me away from something, you're, always, you're also calling me towards something. And I'm not sure what that's going to look like. Not very different than you and I today. We're going to look at Mark chapter 1, verses 14 to 34 this morning. So I'm going to invite you to stand with your Bibles Or your phones with Bibles on them. Bit of a long text. And then we're going to walk through it as I I unpack some of this. The Word of God to us this morning. Mark chapter 1 verse 14. Now after John was arrested. Okay, let's stop there. (laughs) Notice Mark doesn't go into that at all. Some of the other Gospels do. Why? Because Mark knew that his audience already knew all about John being arrested. For those of you who don't know, John the Baptist, who had just baptized Jesus in the previous part of the chapter, was was a a bit of a big mouth when it came to calling out King Herod, the king in Jerusalem. He called him on, on his morality, and it got him into trouble, and eventually he lost his head over it. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. What does it mean that the time is fulfilled? Does it mean chronologically? Does it mean that now is the time? It means physically and chronologically, I've shown up. God in human flesh has shown up. The time is at hand. So repent and believe the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, as I just showed, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, uh, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers, of, become fishers of men and our, Mark's favorite word, he uses it over 47 times in this book. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther down, a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John's brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Poor fathers. Twenty-one, and they went to Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, see the energy that Mark's building up on the Sabbath, uh, Jesus he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught, uh, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes, poor scribes. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit or an evil spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit said, I don't want, no. The unclean spirit convulsed him and crying with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, what is this, a new teaching with authority? And you'll notice there's questions like this throughout Mark. Mark wants us to ask these same questions. Who is this that he can do these kinds of things? What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue, and he entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, and immediately they told him about her. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. The, 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 the word for fever here is not like, oh, she wasn't feeling too good. I had a mild case. This is like close to death. Now, what I found out this week, and I fa- this is fascinating, is first century archaeology in Capernaum shows that there was major traffic at this home. That in the first half of the, f- the second half of the first century, everyone was coming to visit this place. It was like it was marked off as something amazing had happened there. There's archaeological proof for that. That's fantastic. Took her by the hand, lifted her up, and she didn't rest. She just begins to serve. Verse 32 that evening at sundown, they brought they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons, and he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. God, I pray you would speak to us this morning, a, a very, a, an ancient text, but with very important words to say to us this morning. And so I pray, as I often do, that we would not come here simply uh, so that we can check off that we did church this week, but we would come here willing that your Spirit would convict us if need be, that your Spirit would comfort us if need be, and your Spirit would give us the courage, fill us to go and do whatever you're asking of us. We, We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. The greatest human event, the greatest event in human history was not the fall of Rome. It wasn't the landing on the moon. Believe it or not, it wasn't the last American election. It's not COVID. It was the son of God stepping onto the soil of earth and proclaiming his kingdom. That has flipped the world on its head. Something that happened 2,000 years ago is what has drawn you here this morning. That has drawn us to sing these songs of worship for you to be willing to listen to this guy for a half hour, maybe more. This event ripped the lid off the cosmic box and it let us know we are not alone. It let us know that all of our stories are taking place in a larger story. To saying yes to this kingdom can't be taken lightly because it affects everything. Marriage, work, anger, pain, anxieties, struggles. And if we don't allow Christ to have authority over those areas or don't want his authority over those areas, then we are Christ followers in name only. To say I am a Christ follower, that is is to proclaim your first political allegiance to Christ as king. Saying yes to Jesus means we say yes to his authority over our everything, which ought to compel us, as Jesus calls, calls us, to repent and believe, to repent, to turn from the past and take on a whole new worldview, a whole new way of doing life. Uh, the word um, believe often is the same word in the Greek for the word faith, and I think we've given it a bad rap, or, or we haven't given it enough weight or understanding. To believe... And I think I have it on the back, right on. To believe means to accept, to consume, to internalize, and live out allegiance to Jesus. It's not just something we listen to and go, got it. Yes, I I am into that. We receive it, we consume it, we internalize it, and it ought to animate the way we live our lives. This is why James in his letter was challenging, and Mark is challenging throughout his gospel, to live an animated faith. In in James' letter, he says this, he says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Our Christian lives must be Animated, or James calls them into question, or the Gospel of Mark calls them into question. It's not an issue of gaining God's favor or salvations by, salvation by works. But one cannot say they believe if they're not living differently. We cannot say we believe God is in ultimate control and then live lives as though our paycheck or our anger or our, our culture have final say. That's what has always turned the heads of people who are not part of the faith. Throughout history, whenever the church had a movement, it's because the culture turned around and went, why aren't you as angry as the rest of us? Why aren't you swinging back and forth and blowing in the wind like the rest of us with every new ideology? Why aren't you afraid? So speaking to those in Rome, which is where most people think uh, Mark's audience was, Mark might say, and, and James might say, some Christians are being dragged into court. Because of their faith. And some of you have probably heard this before. If you were dragged into court for being a Christ follower, would there be enough evidence to convict you? That's the, that's the question. That's what it means to follow. Is, God, is Jesus going to have complete authority over every aspect of our lives? I tell you, if Jesus has, ever, has, has authority over every aspect of your lives, there's, there's no way it's going to go unnoticed. It's not going to go unnoticed at work. It's not going to go unnoticed in your conversations. It's not going to go unnoticed in how you serve and love other people, even enemies. It will not go unnoticed because it is very countercultural to our world. Belief, as the gospel writers and early followers of Jesus meant it, was a call to accept, to consume, to internalize, and live out this allegiance to Jesus. It's not just something you, you write on a form. Saying yes to Jesus means we say yes to his authority over our everything. And this means we are compelled to follow wherever he leads. Man, these disciples, they were quick to draw. But did they have, like, daddy issues? Like, they were upset? It's like, yes, we're out. They were so quick to follow, we see in verses 16 to 20. Now, because Mark is writing to believers, most likely in Rome, the ongoing question for them daily is, am I going to follow even in the midst of this world that's pulling me in so many different directions? I am going to stand out if I follow Jesus' authority when I'm being told to follow Caesar's authority over everything. And often in Scripture... When we, see, when we read stories, we always have to be careful. Is this, is this just giving us a, a depiction? Is this just giving us a depiction of something? Or is it giving us a description of how we also ought to? And I think with the disciples, we're seeing a description of how we ought to. Of how we ought to respond to the call of Jesus. To drop it all and follow. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Die to your own ambitions where they don't line up with the kingdom. And yes, for some in many parts of the world, actual death maybe. That's what it meant for Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Killed by the Nazis because he was standing up against Hitler. It means letting go. <laughs> for these disciples, it literally meant letting go of a net. Letting go of the side of the boat. Getting out. Look at the response of the disciples here. They're in the middle of their life Work. If you grew up in Galilee, you weren't watching Disney and going, I've got dreams for my life. I know what I want to be. You weren't looking on the internet and going, Mom, Dad, I know where I want to go to college. You never had that conversation in Galilee. If your father was a Mason, you were going to be a Mason. If your father was a shepherd, you were going to be a shepherd. If your dad was a fisherman, guess what? You were going to be a fisherman. I can tell you how any conversation around the dinner table went where it was started with, hey, mom and dad, you know what I want to do with my life? Their response would be, you're a fisherman. That's what you're going to do with your life. We're not interested in that in that question. So make no mistake, up until this point, the entire mindset of the disciples, of these of these disciples was, I'm a fisherman. I have security in this job. I'm going to keep doing this for the rest of my life. They were going to be on that boat forever. Yet, At Jesus' call, they left their nets. How? Immediately. They dropped it all. I would imagine their dads are standing around going, what just happened? And as we'll see throughout the Gospel of Mark, there are going to be many times where the disciples say, what just happened? What did I say yes to? Many of us have been there. A quick jump to follow Jesus, to jump out of the boat, and then we say, okay, what did I just do? What have I just said Yes to. I didn't understand the animosity that would come my way. Although if we took time, Jesus told us that there was going to be plenty of animosity thrown at us if we associate with him. But I, I, I had no idea where this was going to lead. And we see throughout this gospel, that's exactly what happens to these disciples. And many leave him because they jumped in quick, but that does not equal deep faith. A quick response does not equate to deep faith. Deep faith takes time. It takes practices. It takes Christian community. Ultimately, an ongoing practice of inviting Jesus in and exposing more of our life to Jesus and giving him more and more authority over those things. Saying yes to Jesus means saying yes to his authority over our everything. So let me ask you, has there been anything this week? Has there been anything over this whole time of COVID where Jesus said, let go of that and follow me? where you've been running after pursuits, where you've been laying your time and your efforts, your finances down at an altar that cannot bring life. And Jesus has said, put that down and follow me. And we're too busy holding on to those nets or grasping on to the side of the boat. Does Jesus have ultimate authority? Have we given him complete authority? Well, quite, the answer is no, we haven't. No one here in this room has alt- given him complete authority over our life. That is the walk of sanctification, if, if, uh, of looking more like Jesus, which will fully be realized at his return. So don't worry. For those of you who beat yourself up because you made a mistake this week, or you're having a hard don't worry. It's coming. We slowly grow to more, towards the image of Christ, but one day we will be like him. First John 3.2. John writes this. He says, Beloved, we are God's children Now even if we don't always look like it, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And you know what? When we see him as he is, we're going to say, why in the world did I hold on to any of those things? But we can get ahead of that game as, as we slowly allow his spirit to counsel us and we're convinced to give things up. Notice John says we are his children now. We're not what we fully ought to be, but we are his children now. Jesus is not in love with a future version of you. He's in love with you as you are sitting here right now. But as Tim Keller says, but he loves us so much he doesn't want to leave us that way. (laughs) He loves you as you are, but he loves you too much to leave you as you are. That's beautiful. (laughs) Wish I came up with that. So the question isn't, does Jesus have authority over your heart and mind completely, but do you want him to? Do you desire that? Do you pursue that? To grow and be more like him? Allow him to dismantle the walls that we built up that are are walls of sin between us and him and also walls between each other? Because if saying yes to his kingdom means saying yes to his authority over our everything, it means we need to nurture and practice trust. I mean, talk about a show of trust. Have everything you have in front of you. Everything you knowing what your future's going to look like for the next 40, 50 years and go, I'll drop it for you, Jesus. I don't know where this is going to go, but I'd rather do it next to you, Jesus. We need to show trust. And Jesus gives us all sorts of reasons here, all sorts of reasons that He ought to be the ultimate authority in our lives, uh, over our heart and our mind and over our, our physical, present and future, what we do with our bodies and where our bodies are headed. First of all, over our heart and mind in verses 21 to 28, notice this battle that goes down at the synagogue. where Synagogue is where the, the Jewish people would get together and still do and read the Torah or the Tanakh, the, the, the Hebrew Scriptures, and then they would teach on it and they would have community and they would worship. The reason we have synago- synagogues is because during the, the Babylonian exile where they couldn't be at the temple but they still wanted to meet and worship, they created synagogues and now synagogues are all over the world. That's what would go on. Well, this day, Jesus came up and read the scripture. As we see elsewhere, see that in Luke 4 in the the synagogue in Nazareth. He was doing it all over the area of Galilee, visiting synagogues to proclaim his kingdom and use Hebrew scripture to do so. This week, Jesus took the text and he taught. In verse 22 of Mark 1, it says, And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. I'm just picturing the scribes. Okay, come on, guys. We're trying really hard. You had one job, scribes. You had one job. Learn the Scripture and teach the Scripture. Often, I kind of get down on some of the English translations. The more I kind of dig into some of the Greek and read some great scholars who who kind of unpack English translations. But the word authority is the perfect English word. Because the other root for the authority comes from the same root is the word author. Jesus has a certain kind of authority, unlike the scribes, because he's the author. It's the difference of going to a book reading by the librarian or the author of the book. They know it in and out because they wrote it. That's what's going on here. It would be the difference of me downloading some Ed Sheeran music and strumming it out of my guitar or Ed Sheeran coming and playing his music. He has the authority. I'm just trying. Poorly, I would add. It wouldn't be good. When Jesus shows up at the synagogue... And reads holy scripture, he spoke with the authority of the author of that very scripture. Wow. And if anyone at that moment was wondering, and they they seem to recognize he had this certain authority over the text. But if they were wondering whether it was true, he is met, it says in verse 23, immediately by this encounter with evil spirits, the demonic. It's kind of a Western kind of moment. Kind of a draw your gun, someone bursts into the saloon, or there's, there's not enough room in this town for the both of us kind of thing. This unclean spirit shows up and, and, and tries to expose Jesus. Tries to really, to intimidate Jesus. Because when light shines in darkness, the darkness cannot overcome it. This is what some co- scholars call a combat exorcism. This wasn't a a demon. I was just minding my own business. This is a demon who came face to face with Jesus and questioned his authority. And so there's this, this point that Mark's trying to make that's happening in this encounter to emphasize to the original audience, to emphasize to Mark's audience, to emphasize to you and I that Jesus has a divine commission and therefore divine authority. He has authority. It's interesting that Jesus' teaching of truth brought about this manifestation of the demonic because it could not exist in the same area while he was unpacking the truth of who he was. Have you ever been in a situation as a Christian where the very fact you haven't even said anything yet and the very fact you're a Christian has made other people angry with you? As if you've made a judgment on them, but you haven't even said anything. The very fact that you're standing there, they go, oh, you probably disagree with this. And some people can get their backs up quite harshly because you are representing a belief in a foundational truth. And people have often, I know around me, have said, oh, you probably hate, hate these kind of people or you disagree with this. I'm like, well, let's have a conversation. <laughs> But right here, Jesus is unpacking the, the very scripture that he inspired, and these spirits Step up. And it's kind of like a, a Bruce Lee circa 72 kind of moment. For those of you who followed, uh, whoever looked back at Bruce Lee, he, he had kind of brought this new form of martial arts to the Bay Area in San Francisco called Jeet Kune Do, and he was challenging the Kung Fu masters and definitely the karate masters. And people would often step up to him and say, how dare you do this And very, on, on, on movie sets right in the middle of a, sh- a, a shoot or just before someone would stand up and challenge him. We'll, we'll see what kind of authority you have. I have heard a few of those ended up in the hospital. But he spoke with such authority, and when he was challenged on it, he proved himself over and over. When the unclean spirits challenge Jesus, they say in verse 24, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? It's a taunting tone. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now why would the spirits? Or the spirits name Jesus, proclaim who Jesus was to everybody. You'd think that they'd want to keep that on the lowdown, but it's actually a bit of a power move. To name somebody and say, we know who you are, is to kind of come up on top and say, ah, we're going to say it before you say it. We've got power over you. And I love Jesus' response, because you have to keep in mind, in Jesus' day, there were other people who did exorcisms, but they would often have little things with them, roots from trees, or bones from animals, or things like that, that they would think would be, or maybe even holding the Torah, and saying in the name of the Torah, the, the Hebrew scriptures, Jesus just says, shut up, basically. Be silent, come out of him. Literally, the, in the Greek, it says, muzzle yourself. I love that. If it was, if this was, this gospel took place in Edinburgh, it would be shut it, or I'll kick your teeth in. Your filthy mouths will not proclaim my title. He speaks truth and he has authority over the heavenly and the earthly. Realm, our hearts, our minds, our spirits. Again, it says that they were amazed at this teaching, that they recognized there was a teaching in his casting out of these demons. There was something in it, this authority over these spirits, that is teaching them the authority of Jesus over everything. They're learning, like like Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. So Jesus doesn't need to say, God in heaven, Yahweh, get rid of this spirit. He can just say it himself because he is God in human flesh. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus holds all things together, physically, spiritually. He's established the world, and he, he saves it by making purification for our sins. He has all authority, not only in a spiritual way, but in a physical way. And we see this in the rest of the chapter of, of what we read this morning. Not just at creation does he have power over the physical world and sustaining the cosmos by his word, but also Jesus has ultimate authority over the salvation of our bodies and our physical reality. We see in 29 to 34. We see Jesus healing throughout the Gospels. Here we have Peter's mother-in-law who's sick. We see the, the spiritually oppressed throughout the Gospel of Mark, but really highlighted here. Jesus was putting creation on notice. And as we read this Gospel, he is putting you and I on notice. Recognize my authority. There is nothing in the, physically, in the physical in the spiritual, in the seen, or the unseen realm that I do not have authority over. Why in the world would we settle for anything else? That's what Mark's saying. Do you not see how he has the authority over all of history, how he sustains all things by his word, that he has power over your hearts and minds, over the spiritual realm, and over your physical bodies? It's important to see that these, these miracles that Jesus performs of healing the sick... take a message? Tell them you're in the middle of something. It's important to recognize that what the gospel is not saying is that because Jesus healed here like this, if you follow him, if you come to him, you will get healed all the time too. Please let's move beyond that. It's not a faith issue. It's a theology issue. And the majority of us in this room the majority of us have prayed for things that did not come about. For a healing of our own bodies, for the healing of others. Some of us have even prayed for the resurrection of people we love because we recognize the authority that Jesus has. So the the gospels are not promising if you follow Jesus, this this will come your way no matter what. But in my lifetime, I've never witnessed the fear of death in the Western world as I have over the last two years. It is permeating Everything, this fear of death, either fear of COVID or fear of the vaccine. Well, where do you go? Everything has this dark blanket of fear of our physical well-being. The gospel tells us that Jesus has ultimate authority over our physical reality. In the gospel of John, which is really helpful, whenever there's a miracle, John calls it a sign. He doesn't say miracle. He says sign. It's pointing to something. All the healings, the resurrections, the feeding of of 5,000 people, these are signs. And signs point to something else. If I am going to Los Angeles and I'm 50 miles out, I don't stand by the sign that says Los Angeles. I aim towards Los Angeles and there's still a lot of road there. The signs or the miracles of Jesus are signs pointing towards something else, pointing towards a destination, Here's the thing: <laughs> everyone who Jesus healed, they ended up dying. Everyone who ate bread that he multiplied and fish, drank wine, they're, they're not with us. Those guys got hungry and thirsty again. And Peter's mom, she might have not have died from that flu, but something got her. I mean, this this sermon doesn't end with, and here's Peter's mom. That's no. That would be a great ending. (laughs) (laughs) On your knees. (laughs) Something else got him. So what is Jesus doing? What are the gospel writers doing? They're giving us a foretaste of what is yet to come. This is my kingdom. And when Jesus came, he was saying, this is the beginning of something new. And when he left, he said, I will come and I will fulfill what I promised. Those things that you just got a glimpse of, you will see that in its fullness when I return. It was a foretaste, a sign of what's been promised, ever the return of Jesus. When, as Timothy Keller says again, everything sad is going to come untrue. What a good day that'll be. The power that sin and death has had over creation will be done away, and the kingdom of Jesus will have full reign. And one of my favorite texts, I've read it many times. In this church in Revelation 21. Do we have that up there? Yes, we do. John writes this, he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Remember I was talking two weeks ago that Jesus, or last week, that Jesus is a new creation. That Mark is explaining that Jesus is bringing new creation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, chaos was gone. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. We got the next one there? And I, ha- I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And for everyone who has lost somebody, everyone who's had to say goodbye to a parent, or a brother, or a sister, or a child, who's suffering in their own way physically, finds great joy. <laughs> when he says that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Complete, cosmic, physical, emotional, spiritual renewal. Healing. This is what all the miracles all the signs of Jesus were pointing pointing toward this is what his authority points toward you can trust that this will happen look at the authority i bring i'm not borrowing this authority from anyone this is my authority this is what he brought about through his life his death his resurrection, this is the promised future for those who say yes to Jesus and say yes to his authority over their everything, over my time, over my heart, over my mind, over my future, over my body, over everything. Let's pray. As we bow our heads, I do, I do want to ask you, uh, last week I invited you to look forward into this week and find moments where you could have times of solitude. Now I'd like you to look back over this past week. The way your time was spent, the kind of things that made you angry, the kinds of things you pursued and spent time on, whether physically running after or in your mind, kept you up at night, those are all giving you clues to what has authority over your life. Those are all giving you clues of what altar you are laying your life down at. COVID has allowed a lot of habits to steal life. Alcoholism is on the rise. The intake of pornography during COVID has increased in an unprecedented way. The mix of work and family, failing to have Sabbath, solitude. There is a price to pay when we ignore the only suitable and proven authority of the life-giving Christ. And when we outsource that authority to lesser pursuits that make claims they can never truly deliver, it will only lead to pain. So I want you to take a moment in silence. Look at this past week. Where time has been spent, where we've laid our time and our lives and our hearts down at other altars. Where we've made excuses. Take a moment between you and the spirit of God to confess There are doors we walk through, God. There, there are doors we walk through that seem small at the moment, but that can lead us on a path far away from you. And so Jesus, as we as we confess the different ways that we've given our lives over to different authorities, some really big that our whole our whole uh, our whole family could tell us that we've been giving our life over to it. And some small and, and, and many and in little ways stealing life from us. Whatever those are, God, we confess those to you right now. On behalf of this church, on behalf of CA Church, I confess to you and I, I, I ask forgiveness when we as a church have moved off lifting the name of Christ high in our preaching, in our worship, in our pursuits. Worrying more about how we are perceived, whether we look relevant, when what's important is that we are consistent in pursuing you. And Jesus, on behalf of everyone here, behalf of this church, I thank you that on the other side of confession comes forgiveness. Full stop. We thank you, Jesus, for your life, death, and resurrection that that proclaims we are seen, we are loved, and we are pursued, we are forgiven. And so for anyone who has allowed your spirit now to speak about things that they need to let go of the nets they need to let go of and follow you, I thank you that as they follow you, they they immediately receive your embrace and your love and your forgiveness. We thank you that you have the authority from the highest level to give us forgiveness this morning. And now, mold us and make us more into your image, Jesus. We thank you for the day when your full healing of your creation will be done and there'll be no more tears, no more sadness, no more chaos. We thank you and we worship you and we proclaim right now, whatever you're asking of us this next week, we will do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of C.A. Church.